Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. And if you can turn to chapter 17, Leviticus 17. As a little, uh, uh, I guess, uh, announcement, I have to say, I have to make a correction on our study from last week in chapter 16. Um, the two kids of goats, uh, they're both sin offerings. Uh, last week's uh, uh, message I, I said one of them was the burnt offering. Now, um, in a little correction, in verse in chapter sixteen, verse five says the two kids of the goats as a sin offering. Verse fifteen says, uh, um, "Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and that's the that's the goat who dies." Both verse five says they're both sin offering. Uh, it's not one's a sin offering and the other's a burnt offering, but they're both a sin offering. Um, verse verse fifteen says he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. So that's the the uh, the first goat, the one who dies. Then there's another one, the one who lives. And verse twenty one says Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, <clears throat> and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself. All their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So that's the goat that lives. So two goats, both are sin offering. Last week, I believe it was mentioned that there, uh, one was the uh, burnt offering. Now, there are aspects of the law in our study in Leviticus. Just, uh, 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 one, two, three is uh, uh, the burnt offering as a shadow of the things, things to come, pointing to Jesus Christ. But applicationally speaking, of this aspect of the law, especially in regard to the, specifically in regard to the two kids of the goats, they're both sin offering. Okay, very important to understand these things. My apologies for that. Uh, um, I'm just mentioning that it was uh, one was the burnt offering. No, they're both the sin offering. One dies, one lives. Symbolic of Jesus Christ. His death, you know, he dies, we live. You know, so it's, yeah, I don't mean to say it, it sounds kind of cheap to say it like that. Forgive me, Lord, but to say, you know, he dies, we live. But when you look at grace and what happens at the cross, the atonement for our sins, that's exactly what happens. So I don't mean to cheapen it by saying he dies, we live, but essentially that's what happens. You know, you know, we have life and, you know, he paid the price for our death. He atones. It should be you and me on the cross in accordance with the law. You know, pay, paying the, the wages of sin is death. And because of our belief in Jesus Christ, receiving him as Lord and Savior, now we have the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of our heart. You see, it's so beautiful when you. I mean, I'm not advocating the law, but do you see how these beautiful, beautiful aspects of the law, they kind of expand our. I don't know. For, I can't speak for you, but for me, it expands my love of the Lord even more and deeper and deeper and deeper because you see these aspects in the law. It's like, whoa, Lord, what you have done even back then. As a shadow of things to come, how you have provisions for us as Gentiles. I mean, I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I, I, I'm assuming that the listeners are uh, Gentiles. But if you're, not, if you're Jewish and you believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. Um, but it's so beautiful because I'm not advocating the law. I have to make special mention of that because, you know, I don't want, you know, if you're listening for the first time, you might be like, oh, okay, wow, to be holy, I got to do this. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's all him. So now let's start our study in chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. It's only 16 verses, so you know this, uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, chapter 17, it's a short verse, 
but wow is it packed it is jam-packed it's so beautiful what happens here in chapter 17 verse 1 says and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to aaron to his sons and to all the children of israel you see how we're going to see in future chapters how the Lord, and we've already studied it already a little bit, but we're going to see even more how the Lord and Moses, they have very special intimacy. The Lord even says, I speak to Moses like a friend. you know, And that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ, because just like we studied on Sunday, Paul's intimacy. And look, at, you know, how the Lord was speaking to him and how the Lord was with him, even in his... You know, his, his, his dark place. I, I, I say it as a dark place, but when you, I mean, you know, that he's in the barracks. Paul was in the barracks in, in captivity and the Jews wanted to kill him. But then like, it's like, yeah, I, maybe I should call it a dark place because the Lord was right there with him. And that's what's so beautiful about when we encounter these presumed dark places. It's like, boom. The Lord is there with you. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have intimacy with Jesus Christ, get it. You know what's stopping you. I mean, you might have to turn off the TV. You might have to turn off your computer. You might have to put down your phone. You might have to get off social media. You might have to put down your book or whatever. Hopefully it's the Bible. But if you're not reading the Bible, you might have to put down whatever you're involved in. You might have to say no to your friends. Your friends say, hey, let's go hang out. You might say, hey, not today. Because I want intimacy with Jesus Christ. I want intimacy with my Lord. Now, that's a choice. That's a choice. You know, we all, every single person has 24 hours in a day. You know, some sleep three hours. Some sleep, some sleep 10 hours. You know, the doctors say you got to get eight hours. I disagree with doctors. I think that's too much. But that's just me. But you see how Moses here, just like Brother Paul, he has intimacy with the Lord and the Lord is speaking to him. And this knowledge that he gets, these instructions that he gets, these uh, you see his obedience because he does it. It trickles down. You ever see like uh, 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 um, the fondue fountains? You know, and I don't mean to cheapen the Lord by saying it like this, but that's what I think of when I read this and in the Old Testament and New Testament. But you see those fondue fountains where, you know, from the top it pours and then it goes into the next level and then the next level and then the next level and then the next level. It's kind of like that. You know how, you know, the Lord speaks to Moses and then from Moses, Aaron, and then the sons and then the children of Israel here in verse one and two. But it also reminds me of a, a, a marriage relationship, a Christian home where, you know, God, the father, God, the son, you know, Jesus Christ. And then the husband, and then the wife, and then the kids. You know, and there's this notion of, you know, wife, you must submit to your husband, which is a biblical truth. But then at the same time, you know, don't forget, wives, it is also written. It is also written. So many people say, you know, wife, submit to your husband, wife, submit to your husband. But what happened if your husband said, okay, wife, submit to me, let's go do crack. Hey, wife, submit to me. You know, let's go get high. Let's go get drunk, wife. Are you going to submit to that? No. If your husband is adamant about that, he's going to go do his thing. And you stay firmly under that, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it this way, but under that model, that, that fondue. You know, and I, I don't, you know, not to cheapen by saying fondue, but that's what goes on in my mind. 
you know, I, I, I think, you know, how it trickles down. So, you know, your husband goes crazy and he's like, you know, doing his crack, doing his drugs, doing his alcohol, doing his whatever. But for the wife, you know what happens? He's left the fondue, but you're still, you know, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and now the wife. Unto the sons and daughters, unto the kids. And by doing this, you can save your husband. It's so beautiful because that's what the, the Bible teaches us. You know, a lot of wives say, you know, and a lot of pastors teach this and elders, a wife, you have to submit to your husband. Which is true. But put a little asterisk next to that. It is also written. You know, the husband says, okay, wife, let's go get high. Let's go do crack. And then the wife, in submission to the husband, does that. What happens to fondue? And then the wife and the husband say, okay, okay what? Well, you know, kids, you got to submit to us. We're your authority. All of a sudden, the fondue, you know, God the father, God the son, and husband, wife, and kids are gone. Where does it go? That's the Christian home. The Christian home. But you know, husband goes crazy and you know, the fondue, it goes, and I say fondue because you know, that's the, the imagery I have in my mind, but really it's new wine, new wine into new wine skins. Husband leaves, then boom, the wife becomes the heavy, becomes the point man. You know, what if husband and wife leave? Boom, kids become the point. I mean, have you ever been in homes where, you know, the most godly is the child? It's sad because you see the abdication, husband and wife, abdication of responsibilities. But it's beautiful because it's like, wow, you know, righteousness is the home is with baby girl. Righteousness in the home is with this little kid, this boy, this girl. And then you tell them, look, your mission field is your home. Pray for mama, pray for papa. You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. But you know what? I have to say this too. In a home, not everybody has ears. In one Christian home, you know, I shouldn't say Christian home, but in one home, not everybody has ears. Because remember, Jesus Christ says, I came to divide. Don't think that I came to bring peace. I, 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 peace. I came to divide. And in a person's home, you know, we'll have, you'll have enemies in your home. And as we get further and further into the last days and closer and closer to the events of the last days, I, you know, we're, we're living in a day and age where it's like, I, 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 sometimes I wonder, can I even say we're getting closer to the last days? Like, because these things have kicked off. You know, ethnos, epi ethnos. We're seeing these things. They're, 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 they're happening. This persecution of the saints, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Life-threatening for our brothers and sisters in China, in Russia, in North Korea, in Arab countries. And it's coming here to the Western cultures now. You know, look at a church setting, you know, this fondue model or the new wine model. So I say fondue, I don't know if fondue, I've seen like chocolate and cheese, but you know, when I say fondue, I don't know if that means like the structure or what flows, but think of it as new wine. New wine. The same applies in a church setting. Church setting, you know, the, the hierarchy. 
But like, you know, where uh, a pastor falters, then, you know, a pastor can go off into la-la land and boom, the elders point man. You know, the new pastor. He goes off into crazy town, then boom, you know, just, you see it in the Old Testament, and you see it in the New Testament. Where is righteousness? And you also see the abdication of those things. The ab- you see it in Saul. You see it in Eli and his sons. You see it when we study the kings and chronicles. You're going to see it all over the place in the kings and also in the priests. And then you're going to see beautiful, beautiful people like Hezekiah. You're going to see all these things. And when we have this foundation, this knowledge base of the law, you're going to understand why the Lord takes this course of action that He does. Without this foundation of the law, we're going to read things, how the Lord responds, and you're like, whoa, Lord, that's, whoa. That's hardcore, Lord. But then when you understand this, what we're getting here from Leviticus, and we're going to get it more in Numbers and Deuteronomy. When we understand these things as a base plate, foundational, then we're going to understand, wow, Lord, I understand why you took this course of action. I understand why you did this. Even all the warning, even in grace and mercy and compassion, Lord, how you were long-suffering. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament because he's vengeful. He's too uh, full of wrath. But no, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I never change, says the Lord. Because sometimes people read a passage from Isaiah. People read a passage from the Kings or Chronicles. And they say, whoa, God, he's vengeful. But when you understand these foundational things of the law, then you're going to understand, okay, look. And then you, you you go back in time. You say, man, for the past 10 years, you look at the Bible historically, and you're like, wow, Lord, for the past 10 years, For the past 20 years, for the past 50 years, you were telling these people and warning these people through the prophets. Major prophets, minor prophets. All these prophets. You put it on their heart to warn the people. And they still didn't repent. Wow, Lord. Yes, I understand your judgment, how it came to the people. But Lord, even in that, I understand your grace and mercy and your long-suffering. But the same can be said today. This door of grace is open. I, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I could have said open wide. Today, I can't say that anymore. If the door of grace is open wide, I can't say that anymore. Based on what the Bible says and based on what I see, you see the rise of lawlessness. You see the rise of wickedness. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And yes, the Bible says that we're law, we're, we're evil, uh, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So yes, grace is available, but prophetically speaking, what is written, it's not going to be open forever. Judgment is coming. People get on my case all the time. You're always talking about judgment. You're always talking about the last days. Well, when they arrive, when, when they arrive, you know what that means? You're without excuse because you know these things. Or you should. You know, there's a lot of safety in repetition and understanding these things. So let's continue. 
in verse um, 2, speak to Aaron, to his son. The Lord is speaking to Moses and, and says, you know, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or or lamb or kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. It's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. The guilt of bloodshed of the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed, shall be ascribed, assigned to that man. To that man. You start to get, remember, you know, a couple chapters ago, we started to talk about the gold of Egypt and, you know, referencing uh, passages in Exodus about the plunder of Egypt. But the same applies here with animals. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. In Exodus 10, verse 24, reads like this. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve, go serve the Lord. Now you read that. Remember, Moses is giving these words to Pharaoh. The Lord tells Moses, he says, you know, go and tell Pharaoh this. You know, in some passage, he says, go and speak to Aaron and tell him this. Go and speak to, you know, you, you see the obedience of Moses. Moses is complete and total obedience to the Lord. You know, and it's so cool because, you know, the Lord is telling him, you know, go and tell this to, to Pharaoh. And then, you know, the, Moses, you know, he, he communicates with Pharaoh. And then here in verse 24 says, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Now you read that and you're like, whoa, uh, Pharaoh is relenting. Praise be to the Lord. You know, victory. But no. No. Look what happens here. This is what Pharaoh says to Moses. Go. This is when Israel's in e Egyptian captivity. Go, serve the Lord only. Let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Now you read that. You're like, wow, cool. Moses, we're out of here. Imagine if Moses came back. Yeah, Moses, how did your how did your meeting go with Pharaoh? Well, he said we can go. He says we can take our little ones too. You're like, wow, praise the Lord, we're out of here. Captivity's over. But no. Look at the condition that Pharaoh placed on him. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Go ahead and go, but you can't take the animals with you. Look at verse 25. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Look at his obedience to the Lord, Moses. And the fact that he knew the word of the Lord as the Lord gave him. He knew the word of the Lord. Because the Lord says that you may, you know, uh, let my people go that you may worship me and make a, a, a sacrifice and offering unto me. And so Moses, Moses knew the, the word of the Lord. He knew what the Lord desired. 
And it was Pharaoh who says, okay, go ahead and go, but you can't take the animals. And because Moses knew the word of the Lord and he stayed in obedience to him, he said, no, I'm not taking that. I'm not buying that. Because he knew. That's why in verse 25, he says, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must, for we must take some of them to serve our Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. You see how beautiful this is? How Moses was, was faithful to the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord. Even when he didn't know why. Even when he didn't know. He says, look, the Lord says that, we're, that we need to make sacrifice and offering to him, unto him. And so we're, we're taking our animals. Not a hoof shall be left behind. I don't know like with what, how we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know in what capacity. But I know the Lord will give me instructions down the road. I'm going to be obedient right here and now, Pharaoh. I say this as a hardcore exhortation to you, beautiful listener. A hardcore exhortation. Because you know what Satan wants you to do in your walk with him when you're in your walk with Jesus Christ? He wants you to compromise. He wants you to make compromises. Oh yeah, go ahead, go to church. Go to church. Go ahead, listen to the sermon. Oh, coronavirus, so you're listening to, you know, sermons online? Go ahead, no big deal. But tonight, you're going to party so hard and you're going to love it. And you go back to your crack pipe, you go back to your alcohol. But you have to make a stand. The same way I have to make a stand. The same way all these heroes were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The same way they made a stand for Jesus Christ. In obedience to the Lordship of our of Jesus Christ our Lord. When your friends and family, maybe those under your own roof, say, Yeah, let's go do this. No one's watching, let's go do this. You know, let's cheat on our taxes. Let's lie about this. You have a choice to make. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira is a, a good example of a wife who was uh, uh, in submission, hardcore submission to her husband and not to sub submission to Jesus Christ. So you hear all these pastors and elders say, wife, submit to your husband. That's, that's the counsel that Sapphira had. So Ananias says, yeah, let's lie to the Holy Spirit and let's say we did this. And Sapphira was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. In complete and total submission to her husband. Instead of complete and total submission to Jesus Christ, Sapphira should have said, Ananias, you're a crazy town. We're not doing that. Or if, you know, uh, I don't want to fight you, but, you know, that's not happening on my watch. I mean, if that happened, you know, she would have been a widow, still alive. But no, she conspired with her husband to the lie to the Holy Spirit. She was hardcore submission to her husband instead of hardcore submission to Jesus Christ. This is inside the church too. They were Christians. But Sapphira had hardcore submission to her husband. Husband as God. No, 
if you're a wife if and you're listening to this the only you know your husband capital h jesus christ he is lord lowercase h that husband he's not lord and husbands if you lord over your wives repent repent if you lord over your wives and say wives submit to me wives submit to me wives submit to you when you yourself are not submitting to Jesus Christ that's called hypocrisy don't do that repent and love your wife like our lord loves the church like our lord loves you when does the lord ever put these conditions on you husband no you know, it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. And when you make a stand, just as Moses made a stand here, look at how Pharaoh wanted him to compromise. Go ahead and go. You're free to go. Take your little ones with you. And Moses, he could have said, all right, we did it. But no, he knew everything. He knew the counsel of the Lord. And the Lord was with him. He said, look, I don't even know. I don't even know how we're going to serve the Lord in the capacity. All I know is that we have to take our animals, just as he told me. So you know what, Pharaoh? Thanks for your offer, but no thanks. Not a hoof shall be left behind. And then look what happens in verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Just like Satan, when he wants you to compromise and you don't take the bait, he says, Okay, I'm going to kill you. See, that's why, you know, a lot of times, and I hate to say it this way, but that's what I think of. You know, you see these these evil factions, whether it be Satan, whether it be demons, whether it be evil people, I see them kind of like pimps. You know, where it's like, you know, they tell, they'll tell a young girl, yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty, come hang out with me. And then they, you know, they start prostituting them for profit. And then the, the prostitute wants to leave. She doesn't like that life. And he says, okay, I'm going to kill you now. Or like, you know, drug dealers. Or like gangs. It's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get, you know, like, you know, the, like, you're going to get jumped, you know, joining the gang. You're going to get the beat down. And, you know, if you want to leave, we're going to kill you. It's kind of like that. It's like a trap. You see how Pharaoh was like, oh, yeah, you know, go ahead and go. Take your little ones with you. And then when Moses made it stand. He says, okay, I'm going to kill you now. In the day you see my face, you shall die. Verse 29. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. You know why? It's, you see the boldness of Moses, but it's not its not bold like he's a tough guy. It's bold because he's standing with the Lord. He knows the Lord. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, he's a tough guy and he's like, okay, you know, Pharaoh, I'm going to beat you up. No, it's like, go ahead. You make your threats, but I'm with the Lord. Your threats are nothing. And the same thing applies to you and me in Jesus Christ. The world will come against you. The world will hate you. It is written, you know, they're going to hate you. But remember, they hated me first. That's what Jesus Christ tells us. And a slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. You make your stand. Male, female, young, old, wife, husband, kid, I don't care. Old person, 
Make your stand. Be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Make your stand. And it's so cool because we go back to Leviticus 17. And what do we see here? You see this, just as there was the plunder of gold, which we talked about a couple chapters ago. You see the animals. And the Lord says in verse 3, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox, all these animals that that Moses made his stand, Moses made his stand and says, No, not one hoof shall be left behind. We're taking the animals. We start to see the purpose. Not just here, but you know, when we started to go through Leviticus 1, you start to see sacrifice. Animal sacrifice, you start to see, oh, this is the reason. And now Moses, when Moses, what we studied, in, in what we just looked at in Exodus 10, when Moses says, we don't even know. We don't even know. But you see how he stood for the Lord and he was faithful, even faithful, not knowing the purpose of whatever animal. And then down the road, the Lord revealed to him, okay, this, these, this is how you're going to sacrifice. The ox is used for this. The lamb is used for this. The turtle dove is for this. You know, the bird is for this. The goat is for this. Further instructions through obedience. And the same thing applies to you and me today. You make a stand for Jesus Christ because you know his word. And if you don't know his word, get yourself in a position where you do know his word. Not that you like, you know, boast in knowledge. Because those who know, know only in part. Love is the greatest gift. So if you don't know scripture, read scripture. And start to understand scripture. Understand the character and nature of our Lord. God the Father, God the Son. And when Jesus Christ tells the Pharisees, I and my Father are one you're going to realize, wow, it's so true because God the Father in the Old Testament was like this and Jesus Christ in the New Testament is like this. And then you're going to reflect back on theophanies in the Old Testament and then start to understand, oh, I get it now. I understand these things deeper and deeper. And because you have this knowledge base in the Word of God, then it's going to help you. It's going to equip you to make these stands even when you don't know you know, the purpose for, you know, what, whatever position you stand in. You don't know what the Lord is going to do with that and in that and in you tomorrow, five months from now, five years from now, five decades from now. You have no idea what the Lord is going to do with that. Maybe not even, maybe there's going to be fruit of it for somebody else. You know, when you think of... Uh, 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 The Levitical priesthood in the loins of Abraham. Maybe your stand is going to impact generations that you're not even going to see with carnal eyes. Make your stand. And it's so beautiful because now we're starting to see the usage, the application of all these animals. In the book of Leviticus, when the Lord gives instructions, this animal is for this, this animal is for this. If you're rich, ox. If you're middle class, lamb. If you're poor, turtle dove. It doesn't matter, you know, socioeconomic, it doesn't matter. And so look what happens here. 
In verse 3, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or a goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off. That man shall be destroyed from among his people. Whoa, that's heavy. That is heavy. And now this is straight up the law. Now you can look at this. Say, for example, if we were in a time machine. We're in a time machine. We go back in time and boom, here we are in the camp of Israel. We meet the people. Hi, how you doing? And then, you know, you meet a guy. You meet a husband and wife. Oh, it's just an animal. No big deal. It's just an ox. No big deal. It's just a lamb. No big deal. It's a huge deal in the eyes of the Lord. They're just animals. No biggie. No, it's a huge deal. Here in these passages, we see how the Lord regards offerings unto him. It's a huge deal. Huge deal. And it's a huge deal today when you are the offering. When you are the sacrifice. I don't get it. What do you mean I'm the sacrifice? Well, something is written in Romans chapter 12. And I'm turning there. In verse 1, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, what do I do? What's the will of the Lord for my life? Number one, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, in a very basic sense, in a very elementary sense, I could say, be in the word, be on your knees, and be obedient. Be in the word, study the word, be on your knees, make sure your prayer life, you have a prayer life with the Lord, and be obedient to his word. That's a very elementary, I, I shouldn't even say elementary, that's like kindergarten level. Read and heed. Pray, read, heed. Rinse and repeat for the rest of your life. That, and maybe that's not even kindergarten level. That's like preschool level. Very basic. That's the will of the Lord. Very basic will of the Lord. Once you have that, then the Lord is going to grow you. You're going to learn. You're going to understand. And then down the road, something's going to happen where the Lord is going to whisper in your heart. Say, now I want you to do this. You've studied, you've learned, you've applied, you're heeding. Now, you know, you're like a, a, an old wineskin. You're full of new wine. And now I want to use you as a vessel to pour out. That's ministry. That's when ministries happen. Remember, it's ministry unto the Lord. People say, what do I do? You know, do I tithe more? No. Here, look, I can write you this check. No. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You are the offering. You take your heart and you give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, here. 
That's reasonable service is what's written here. That's rational and logical is how it translates. Rational and logical service unto the Lord. People say, oh yeah, you want to do service unto the Lord? Go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. It's works-based. No, you know, let the Lord, let the Lord define works for another person. He's head of the church. Let him define where he wants to use you. Just like the apostles, when there was this problem in the church that arose where, you know, certain people were being overlooked, certain widows were being overlooked. They say, hey, apostles, we got this issue. We're being overlooked. And the apostles say, look, we're not going to serve at the tables. Can you imagine a pastor saying that? I'm not going to serve at the tables. You know how much flack they would get, a pastor would get? What do you mean you're not going to serve at the tables? There's this need in the church. Yes, there's this need. But you know what? The Lord called me to teach. The Lord called me to shepherd. What if a pastor says, you know what? You choose. Tells the elders. Tells the deacons. Hey, you choose. Seven men. Remember, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. You choose three women. You see, that's how ministries happen. Imagine a pastor saying, we're not going to serve at the tables. So, you know, I'm not going to serve at the tables. The Lord called me to teach. That's what the apostles said. I'm not going to serve at the, we're not going to serve at the tables, but choose from among you seven men. We have good witness full of the Holy Spirit. Not just, not just warm bodies to fill a role. Strong witness, a good witness. You know, they're, they're Christians. A lot of times today you see people, they just, pastors, they say, hey, we need you, go do this. The guy's not even a Christian. Hey, we need you, there's this need in the church, go do this. The lady's not even a believer. No, it's not about warm bodies. It's not even about lukewarm souls. It's about hot souls. On fire for the Lord. That's how the Lord teaches us in His Word. And so in Leviticus 17, we get a picture of how the Lord, you know, they're just animals. Remember, we're in our time machine. We're speaking to, you know, these people in the camp. You know, they're Jewish and say we're the non-Jewish and we're like, you know, grafting in for a little bit. And the guy says, oh yeah, they're just animals. No, they're not just animals. Look at the end of verse 4. You know, he has shed blood and that man shall be cut off or destroyed from among his people. That's heavy. That's hardcore. You know why? Because the Lord placed heavy emphasis on his offerings unto him. It's a huge deal. What about when the offering is you? Your offering to God. Yourself, your heart. Here, Lord, here's my heart. And then what about when you make tithes unto the Lord? Financial offerings unto the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. What's better? You write a check for $1 million and put it in the offering box? Or you put two mites in the offering box? What's better? For a certain woman, a 
beautiful, beautiful woman. Two mites was better than everybody put together. Because she gave unto the Lord in her poverty. You see how the Lord, his economy is totally different from this world's economy. Because he looks at the heart. He looks at your heart. So we see these aspects in the law like, whoa, a guy kills a lamb and doesn't bring it to the door of the tabernacle and he's destroyed from among his people. He's cut off from among his people. Whoa, that's hardcore. But when you understand the nature of our Lord, the character of our Lord, in using the law, you start to say, well, I get it now, Lord. You regard offerings as very, very, very important and holy. That's why you see like writings in the Old Testament, Brother Peter in the New Testament, he says, be holy for I am holy. Says the Lord, he's quoting Jesus Christ. Be holy for I am holy. We live in a culture where we've lost the concept of holiness. People in the church have lost the concept of holiness. They don't understand. You know why? Because they don't, they're, they're not taught. Number one, they're not reading the word. But then number two, they're not taught these things. They're taught other things. They're taught the social gospel. They're, they're taught, you know, all kinds of different things. But what about the gospel of Jesus Christ? The word became flesh, the entirety of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. In verse 5, says to the end or for the purpose that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest. You see, they're brought, it's for the Lord. 100% of the time, it's for the Lord. The offerings that are made are to the Lord 100% of the time. Now, what we see here when he says that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle, tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. The offerings are always to God, but the priest as a servant, he receives them. It's like, you know, you make a deposit at the bank. You go, I'm at old school. I haven't stepped in a bank in a long time, but you walk into a bank. You know, say you get your paycheck, say your paychecks, you know, uh, 500 bucks and, and you get your paycheck, 500 bucks, you know, and you say, okay, I have a bank account at, you know, whatever bank and you know, I'm going to deposit this 500 bucks in my bank account. And so boom, it's in your bank account, but there's a transaction that happens. You walk inside, you go to the teller and you know, you give him or her your paycheck and say, okay, this is my paycheck. I want to deposit this. But teller has a job to do. They take your check and they do computer stuff, whatever, bada bing, bada boom, and then boom, they give you a little slip and then your, your account is, you know, $500 more. But that's how priests are. The offerings are to the Lord, but the priest has to accept these things and take them and the transaction is not complete. The priest has a job to do. Just the same way a bank teller. 
each in the, like I'm going to make a differentiate differentiation between the pew Christians and the pulpit Christians. The pew Christians have accounts unto the Lord. The pastors, the elders, they're like tellers. You know, I have to make hardcore emphasis on this because a lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they use church as a business. And they say, okay, you know, it's written in my contract with the church, which I don't like because you never see contractual obligations in the Bible. The only obligations we have is unto the word of God. But you see, pastors today, they have these contractual obligations. It's in my contract where I get $300,000 a year. That's my annual salary. Where do you see that in the Bible? I mean, all the godly men I see in the Bible, a lot of times, they're like starving. You know, they're poor. They're, they're not, they're, they're, they're like the Lord is providing for them in real time. And, you know, there you have some that are of the wealthy class, but they don't rest their laurels on their socioeconomic standing. No, they themselves are obedient to the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about Paul. Paul, uh, you know, I, he tells the church in Corinth, he tells all the churches, I could take your money. I, I shouldn't say it that way, but he... I'm boiling it down. He says, you know what? I have a right as a teacher. I have a right to be paid by you. It's biblical. But he says, I deny that right. Freely I have received. Freely I give. He preached the good news. He taught the word of God. Free of charge. I don't want your money. I want to help you in this holy endeavor. To present your body a living sacrifice to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So transactionally speaking, what you know, a lot of pastors they say, Oh yeah, you know what? I'm gonna get a pay raise. Look, we had some it's Easter, you know, Easter's like a, a pay extra pay raise. Christmas Day, Christmas service, yeah, the parking lot is full. Wow, you know, it's Christmas time, so that's my that's my Christmas bonus. No, that's carnality. If you're listening to my words and you're a pastor and you have this mindset of church as a business, you need to repent, take, you know, hiatus and seek the face of the Lord. Repent. The things that happen in God's house is his business. You're just a teller. And it's so beautiful when you see, when you see things operating Perfectly. And I have to say, in the Word of God, it doesn't happen a lot. It's just the opposite. I mean, we're in our Sunday studies, we're in the book of Acts, and you read the book of Acts, and you're like, whoa, this is how things ought to be. And then you're done with Acts, and then you get to Romans, where Paul has to write, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul says, no, 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 no. This is how it is. This is how things are. Then you get to the letters to the church in Corinth. No, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. This is how it is. You get to letters to the church in Galatia. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
You know, so you have these instances, these little brief moments of time where things are just running beautifully. Old Testament and New Testament. But then something happens where it just gets off kilter. You see the carnal nature in Israel, the carnal nature in the church. And who are the ones who the Lord uses to say, hey, say something about this. You have Paul. You have Peter. Look at the influence of Lois and Eunice that they had on little Timmy. These little instances of righteousness. And the same applies to you today. You know, make your stance. Make your stance. And so transactionally speaking, in verse 5, it says that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. It's the peace offerings so that they can be right with the Lord. Just listen to our study a couple chapters ago in Leviticus about the peace offerings and you'll understand these things. If you've been listening so far, you know, you, this is a nice, you know, knowledge base that we're getting in the law. And so look what happens here in verse six and the priest. So in verse six, the priest takes the offering and now he has a job to do. He has a role to play in this transaction. The same way a bank teller will take your check, your $500 check. And now that bank teller has a job to do. You know, look at the check, do your, you know, bada bing, bada boom on the computer. And then all of a sudden, you know, your $500 check, you know, hit the 500, do some other numbers, tie this to this account, and then boom, here's your receipt. The transaction is done. It's in the bank. So in verse 6, the priest has his job to do. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. You see, you remember our earlier chapters, earlier studies in Leviticus, where you see this very fine intricacy about these offerings. And so, you know, you're seeing like, you know, the mention just in two verses, you see, you know, these sacrifices, you see the mention of the uh, peace offering, you see the mention of the uh, burnt offering, the sweet aroma to the Lord. And, you know, as we get further in these books, you're going to start to see the, uh, uh, the culmination of several offerings unto the Lord. So it's like, you know, it, I'll boil it down. You're going to see like, uh, Leviticus 2, Leviticus 4, Leviticus 5, you know, it, it bunched together. And these offerings, these ceremonial aspects of worship are going to be used as feasts, such as the Feasts of Weeks, Feasts of Booths, Feasts of Tabernacles, to show a greater picture of who? Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And so let's continue in verse seven. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. Well, it makes you wonder what were they doing before? They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. Now, this word for demons in the Hebrew translates as the devil translates as he goat or a fawn. You see fawn in a lot of like, you know, mythical creatures, the fawn like a, a goat slash man. 
That's why the satanic symbols, you know, you see the goat, you know, the goat head and the man's body. But then, you know, then they have like the, the feet, the goat feet. It's, it's all based, it's Satanism. It's all, all this symbolism. It's all, you, you read the Bible and then you understand the symbolism. It's like very antichrist, very demonic, very evil. It's like they take these things of the Bible and they just blow it up to say, okay, the Bible says, you know, this is demon, so we're going to make our image into this. That's how Satan works. It's all symbolism. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. Now, this word, it says play the harlot. You read it. I read out of the New King James Version. But you read the New King James, you read many translations, and it's a noun. They have played the harlot, but in the Hebrew, it's a verb. It translates as to go whoring. Not just to be a whore, but to like be active and go whoring. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. Meaning that it's like present, presently happening when Israel goes whoring. But what about inside the church when somebody goes whoring? When they turn apostate. Oh yeah, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll worship the Lord. But then I'll also go to Buddhist temple. I'll also pray to Mary. I'll also start, you know, doing my uh, yoga stuff. So that the kundalini spirit can rise up. So that I can have a third eye. For enlightenment. Oh yeah, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll read my Bible. But I'll also partake of Reiki. So I can have this, you know, this enlightenment. And help others. Using all these, you know, these crystals. You say, well, you're going too far. It's happening in the church. It's already here. You don't need, I mean, I say these things, but you see it. It's, it's on full display. That's going whoring in the church. The bride of Christ. What bride do you know? You know, if you're a female, you know, say you have a friend, a girlfriend who's going to get married. And she talks to you, oh, you know, this guy proposed to me. You know, we've been dating or whatever. He proposed to me. And we're going to get married on, you know, uh, July 5th. We're going to get married on July 5th. And all of a sudden, you know, you guys are walking down and she's like giving her phone number out to other guys. Or, you know, her phone rings and she answers it and she's talking like all sweet talk to Joe Schmo. You're like, whoa, you're engaged. You're supposed to be faithful to this guy. He's going to be your husband. We have worldly examples of this. But now applies this, apply this to the church. Remember the ten virgins? Five are foolish, five are wise. Look inside the church. Be faithful to Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Don't go after these other gods. The lure of how Satan wants to pull you into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
sex, drugs, you know, strip clubs, uh, meth, cocaine. I'm not surprised anymore. And it's a sad state. But these things must happen because they're written. I meant like 30 years ago, you could read through the Bible. Just 10 years ago, you could read through the Bible and have an idea in your head. Okay, wow, you know, it might, it's going to be scary, Lord. And I think things might pan out like this. But the culture that we live in today, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Look at peace in the Middle East. Look at how it's growing. Look at all these factions that are talking about, you know, they're, they're trying to use the Temple Mount as a, a bargaining chip to bring Saudi Arabia into the mix. Oman into the mix. To establish peace with Israel and her neighbors and they're using the Temple Mount. Wild, wild days that we live in. Once peace comes to Israel, then boom, that starts the beginning of the final seven years. And we're not going to know like when peace begins until the midpoint. I mean, because you could look at uh, 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 Oslo Accords, you can look at the Annapolis Agreement, you can look at all prior peace agreements, and you have to wait three and a half years. And, you know, on this date, if three and a half years, there's no temple, there's you know, then it, it wasn't it. And, you know, if you're pre-tribulation rapture, then, you know, I'm, I'm helping you in case you miss the rapture. <laughs> but if you're not pre-tribulation rapture, these are things you're going to... Paul even writes 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 concerning our gathering. All these things have to happen. And... You could watch the news. Not only that, they have red heifers now, qualified red heifers, which based on the age and based on the law, they have to be sacrificed within a year. The current qualified red heifers. There's more. Because remember, they're, they're geoengineering, they're biological bioengineering these uh, uh, red heifers at an undisclosed location. They have qualified red heifers now. To be sacrificed. We're living in incredible times. And what's happening with the church? They're asleep. The church, I say we as a aggregate body, we're asleep. When we should be wide awake and on guard. And so look what happens here in verse 7. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot or as a verb in the Hebrew, they've gone whoring or they go whoring. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. You know what happens to Israel? Israel, what happens, not from this moment on, but very shortly, is they forget. How quickly they forget. But you know what? For the church too. How quickly we forget. Don't forget, not too long ago, you can just thumb through a couple pages. And what do you have in the camp of Israel? A golden calf. A golden calf. What was there in what were they like in Egypt? Surrounded like, you know, in, in Egyptian captivity, but what were the Egyptians worshiping? 
What was their form of worship? The gods of Egypt, the gods of neighboring peoples. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says to the people, you guys are mine. You are mine. Don't play the harlot. He says the same to the church. Don't play the harlot. But what happens when there's no love of the truth? When there's no love of the truth? Well, I'll tell you what happens. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm just turning there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Remember, he's the father of lies. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. I'm the first to admit truth hurts. Truth is painful. Because when you read the word of God, when you read the truth of God's holy word, he confronts your carnal nature the same way the word of God confronts my carnal nature. At that point, we have a choice to make. Lord, I want to bring you honor. Or, no Lord, my way. You have a choice to make. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's a form of judgment. It's not that they don't want the truth. It's that they cannot have the truth because it's a form of judgment. The same way, remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then all of a sudden, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Judgment. And so let's go back to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 17. They forgot. Not, I mean, not here. I mean, the, this is the beginning of this statue, but, you know, they forget. So in verse 8 it says, Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers. This is an Old Testament example of the Gentile grafting, the grafting in of Gentiles into the camp of Israel. Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among the people. You say, whoa. You see the regard that the Lord has for his offerings, offerings unto him. You could say like people, atheists today, non-believers, the mockers of the last day. Is that why you see how selfish God is? Look, he wants all these offerings. Wow, he's so, he, he, look, he's, he, he's all about himself. Well, no, when you understand the purpose for these things, I shouldn't say that these things, the purpose of these offerings. Back then, it was for the people so that they could be right with the Lord. So that they could have a covering. The covering of the Lord. Remember in... I'm just going to turn there really quick. But in Exodus, Exodus 33, 
Exodus 33, verse 3, the Lord says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord is telling Moses, Moses, you go to the promised land, I'm not going to be with you. Because, you know, you guys are stiff-necked, and if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. That's what the Lord says to Moses. And then Moses interceded. And the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you. But now he gives the, you read chapter 34 and you see the law written again, the Ten Commandments. Remember, the law was given three times. The Ten Commandments given three times. The first time in, in, in uh, uh, vocally, orally. Uh, uh, the second time, uh, 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 the tablets that were uh, destroyed at the golden calf. And then now the third time, the second set of tablets. So the Ten Commandments were given three times. And so this third set, this, these two tablets, the first set was destroyed. The, the, the first t stone tablets were destroyed. The first giving of the Ten Commandments was verb, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, vocally. And now these two tablets, the Lord gives them to the people, except now with sacrifice, blood, blood. Symbolic of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. So you have the law with the blood. So let's look at, go back to Leviticus 17 now. In verse 10, And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, Gentile grafting, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now you see a picture of how God is showing us of how he sees blood, how he views blood. You know, keep in mind, you know, you heard me reference about, you know, what was going on in Egypt. How did the Egypt worship their gods? How did the Egyptians worship? But don't forget that around the camp of Israel here and when they get into the promised land, you're going to see the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. And anthropologically speaking, when you look at what these people, how they, their form of worship, not unto God, but their form of worship unto their gods, idolatry, some hardcore stuff, human sacrifice, child sacrifice. And what were the former influencers of Israel? And the Lord is saying, look, you're not going to do that. In verse 7, like he says, you, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. What about the influencers of today? That, you know, social media, they call the you know, people with a bunch of followers, they call them influencers. And people like lemmings, they do what they're told. Influencer number one says, oh, you got to dress like this. So you have all these lemmings. They dress like whatever. Influencer number two, you got to wear makeup like this. And you see all the people. Everybody wants to be unique. Everybody looks the same. You know, like clowns. Influencer number three, you got to be in business like this. And all these people like lemmings. Oh, okay, I got to dress like this, speak like this, and do like this. No. You be you in Christ Jesus. Oh, but I want identity. I want my own identity. Your identity is in Christ. And I tell you the truth, there is nothing more beautiful 
than when a person's, when a soul's identity is in Christ. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more breathtaking than a soul that is abiding in Christ. A lot of young people will say, oh yeah, I want to I wanna get married so I'm going to dress like this. I want to get married so I can get this guy's attention. I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to look like this. Like these influencers tell me I have to look. No, you, when your identity is in Christ, you're going to get the attention of a guy. But it's going to be a godly guy. Because he's saying, wow, look at these godly attributes. Look at how she prays. And then guys too, you know, it's like you got to have abs. You got to, you know, have a certain haircut. You know, one day it was like this. One day it was, you know, men's haircuts change. I think it's funny because you have a bunch of lemmings. They do their hair like, you know, whoever the latest, I don't know who the latest guy is, but everybody does their hair the same. All these guys, because they're a bunch of lemmings, they dress the same. They wear their skinny jeans. Like, wow, you know, I want to get a girl's attention, so I got to dress like this. But no, you know, when your identity is in Christ, it's beautiful. And you're not, you know, checking out all these people. But then a girl's going to say like, wow, look at that guy. He's not checking out these other girls. You know, he's not doing this. He prays. He worships. It's like, wow. He studies the Bible. He comes to church, you know. It's, uh, you know, he comes to church on Sunday, comes to church on Wednesday. There might be a prayer meeting. He's there. Wow, look at this guy. And it's so beautiful when you see these things happen. But what about the influencers of today? And I'm not speaking about the godly influencers. What about the influencers of today? Just like Pharaoh wanted to get Moses to compromise. When Pharaoh says, you know, go, go ahead. Go ahead and leave Egypt. Go ahead, serve the Lord. Except let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Your little ones, they can go with you. But no, Moses took a stand. When Pharaoh tried to influence him. And what about those factions in your life that attempt to sway you? That attempt to influence you for ungodliness. That attempt to make you leave your identity in Christ whose robe you wear. What are you going to do? And that's what's so cool about chapter 17. The Lord is confronting Israel and speaking to them through Moses. He says, look, no more. In verse 7, no more. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. And that's what's so cool about coming to Christ. That's what's so blessed and beautiful and joyful about coming to Christ. I don't care, you know, whatever your past is. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, I don't care. You come to Christ, praise the Lord. Let's come to Christ. And you repent. You believe in Jesus Christ. You repent. And you're a born again believer. 
and all those things in the past. All, when you played the harlot before in the past, when you were sacrificing to demons, just like verse 7 says, hey, no more. No more. Those days are over. You are a new creation in Christ. You are new wineskin. And new wineskin is the only vessel, the only, only, only vessel that new wine can hold. Or new wineskin is the only vessel that can new wine can be contained in. That's what happens when you reckon the old man dead. When you reckon the old woman dead. When you give your body as a living sacrifice to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A living sacrifice. And the Lord, just as we see here, He regards His offerings as a big deal, a huge deal. But that's what happens when you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. When you're new wineskin, that's the only way new wine can stay inside of you. If you don't reckon the old man dead, if you don't reckon the old woman dead, you're not new wineskin. You're old wineskin. And new wine will pour into you. And then all of a sudden, boom, you'll get a hole. Hole over here, hole over here, hole over here. And that new wine will pour out in a bad way. And if new wine can't be held inside of you, you're going to see all kinds of, not only the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. And what are the works of the flesh? The Lord teaches us. The works of the flesh are, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just a messenger. You can hate me. There's a long line of people who hate me. That's okay. But I tell you the truth. New wine can only be held in new wineskins. Only. So I don't care what your past is. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, I don't care. You believe in Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ. You become born again. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Boom, you're born again. You're a new wineskin. You shall no more. You know, just as written here in verse 7, no more offer sacrifices to demons. Go and sin no more, just as the Lord told all these people. So beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. These influencers that were upon the people of Israel and I have to say this too. This We're seeing something beautiful here. But in the course of time, you're going to see a little bit, and in some cases, a lot of bit of ugliness. Because these influencers 
whether it be the Canaanites, whether it be the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, or even the heart of Israel, when they say, we want a king. And beautiful, beautiful Samuel is like, no, Jesus Christ, our Lord, you know, God is our king. They say, no, Samuel, we want a king. Give us a king. We want to be like these other people. And then the Lord tells Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. It's okay. Not that, you know, it's okay, but I meant, you know, Samuel, I know you're brokenhearted, but be of good comfort. And so they get a king. Who was their king? Saul. Look what happens in the life of Saul. Sad. That's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. I mean, look at Egypt. Pharaoh honored the Lord. You say, what do you mean Pharaoh honored the Lord? Well, I'm not talking about the Pharaoh of, you know, the latter chapters of Exodus. Or the mid chapters of Exodus. I'm talking about the Pharaoh at the end of Genesis with uh, Joseph. Who put Joseph second in command at his right hand. Zafnat Paneah. And how the Lord was honored in Egypt and how the Lord restored Egypt and protected the lands through Egypt because of the wisdom of Joseph. A type of Christ at the right hand of Pharaoh. With a Gentile wife. (laughs) And then what happens? You turn the page, you keep reading and God is forgotten. God is forgotten in Egypt and God is forgotten in Israel. Sad. But the Lord makes himself known. Just as in the last days when the Lord becomes forgotten, the Lord makes himself known. And so look what happens here in verse 11. Still in chapter 17, look what happens here. In verse 11, the Lord is giving us a picture of how he views blood. And he says this in verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is straight up in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is a big deal. Because now you start to understand because we see here that life is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And it is given to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Then you start to understand why in you know in uh, 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 in Exodus thirty three when the Lord says, "I'm not going to go with you guys because I'm going to kill you. You guys are stiff necked." But then the next chapter you see the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, with blood atonement. What about the blood of Jesus Christ? Atonement for you, atonement for me, atonement for all who believe. You say, well, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, God loves you. Believe in him for the remission of sins. Be born again. God loves you. And you repent. And you get right with the Lord. That's blood. You hear people see here Christians when we speak Christianese, washed in the blood of the Lamb. I mean, when I was a non-believer, I'd hear people say, "Washed in the blood of the Lamb." I'm like, "Whoa, what? 
What is this? Washing the blood of the lamb? No thanks. But today, when I have this understanding of what it means, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who washes away all sin, that's what it means to be washed in the blood. Because life is in the blood. Life for life. Life for life. The transfer of my sin, the transfer of your sin upon Jesus Christ. To make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9. Look what is written here. Hebrews 9. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. That's what we're studying in the Old Testament, the blood of goats and calves. And you see, that's why you, you hear me say the law was created with loopholes. That's from chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been, that, I'm reading from chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So the law, as much as we're talking about studying the law, remember it has loopholes because a place has to be made for this second uh, covenant to be sought after, which is Jesus Christ, as is written in Hebrews 8, verse 7. So now going back to Hebrews 9, verse uh, 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 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling of the sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, without blemish, we was without sin. How much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal through through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. If you ever had a guilty conscience, but in Christ, you can have a clean conscience before the Lord. The world is like you know people are doing their drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever. It's like wow, you know what? I don't partake of that stuff. You can have a clean conscience before the Lord. How much more shall the blood of our Lord cleanse your conscience from dead works? Just like, you know, we were just talking about in Leviticus. No more shall you sacrifice the demons. That's what he's saying here. From dead works to serve the living God. How much more? Jesus Christ, the old man is dead. The old woman is dead. You're in Christ. You're, you're born again. You're new wineskin. New wine is pouring into you. And if you're a husband, it fills, pours out, and it pours into the new wineskin of your bride. And if you're a wife, you're blessed by this new wine that flows from your husband and into you, and it fills you up, and boom, this new wine goes into you know, goes into you and your husband and pours out and goes into your children. How 
beautiful our Lord is. How beautiful are his ways. How beautiful is his son. His name is like honey on our lips. Jesus the Christ. And so look what happens here. In verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the law, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see how beautiful this is? Promises of God. Remember Abraham when he's in the wilderness? And remember, there's, it's not like New York City. You look up the sky in New York City, you can't see a thing because it's bright. But you go out in the desert, in the wilderness, you look up at the sky and you just see like, oh, beautiful tapestry of stars all over the place. And the Lord calls out to Abraham, Abraham, look up at the sky. This is what your descendants are going to be more. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars you see. Remember, at the time, Abraham was married. He was old, married to an old lady who was barren. And the Lord is telling him in his intimacy with Abraham, Abraham, your descendants are going to be more than these stars. And you know, you see these passages where Abraham believed. And what does it say in the New Testament? It was accounted to him for righteousness sake. Wow. That's faith. That is faith. I mean, say you're an, pretend you're an old guy. I mean, you might be an old guy listening. And pretend you're an old guy and pretend you have an old wife. And you might be... <laughs> you might be an old guy married to an old wife. But, you know, if you're not, pretend you are. And, and you know, your wife is barren. And you're old. You're all alone in the desert. And you're just, you know, outside your tent. You're just kind of relaxing under the, you know, the cool breeze of the night in the desert. And the Lord calls out to you. Here I am, Lord. You have no... Your family tree, is there is there is no family tree. It's just you and your wife. And the Lord says, look up at the sky. Your descendants are going to be more than this. And he believes. That's a major faith. And I love it because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hannah, Deborah, Paul, Peter, you know, uh, Lois, Eunice, Liddy. All these beautiful people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I say Liddy, but that's Lydia. I say little Timmy, but that's Timothy, you know. It's so beautiful when you see these passages of Scripture and these people, beautiful, beautiful, faithful people, and they just jump off the pages. It's like, wow, that's my family tree. That's my family. And who is head of the family? Jesus Christ. And, you know, the same way that, you know, uh, uh, Joseph's brothers, they didn't acknowledge that, you know, they wanted to kill, they wanted to kill Joseph. And it was Simeon who said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Which is bad. But they faked his death. Remember the, the tunic he wore? All, all kinds of radiant colors. It's symbolic of Jesus Christ. 
rejected by the camp of Israel. And what does he have? He's Zephnath Paneah. He has a Gentile wife. And then he reveals himself to his brothers. And then they fall down. They bow down and worship him. The same thing is going to happen at the fullness of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ is going to have a Gentile bride. Read Romans 11 verse 25. Romans 11 25 and correlate that with Zechariah 12, 13 and 14. And you're going to see, whoa, it's the same exact thing. That's why we say Jesus Christ, uh, Joseph, a type of Christ. And so going back to Leviticus 17, verse 12, Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the stranger who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. Now, me personally, I have a specific theory about this, which I'm not going to say. I can make a strong argument about it, but I'm not going to say it. Just, I'll just leave it at that. But you start to see how God sees blood different than human comprehension. He, he, he sees it different. Just as we see, he sees, you know, life is in the flesh of the blood. You know, in, in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I mean, the natural world testifies of such a thing. I mean, you, certain veins in the body, when they're cut, when they're severed, boom, death is like 20 seconds away. Because you're, the life that's in you, it's going to flow right out of you. Your heart beats, you know, and the blood is pumping. But boom, you hit certain vein groups, boom, you're gone. 20 seconds. That's why people, when they commit suicide, they you know, slit their wrists. And they just bleed out and they die because life is in the blood. Their life is pouring out. The natural world testifies of these things. But we see a picture of how the Lord views blood differently from human comprehension. And I'll explain this further in Genesis Four. Turn with me really quick to Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis 4, verse 3, this is what we read. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Do you ever see somebody? You see this a lot with children. A child can be so bubbly and so happy and it's beautiful to see. But then they do something bad and you just say, hey, cut it out. Maybe a little smack on the wrist, smack on the bottom, whatever. And boom, instantly their countenance, you know, it, it, they, it, it falls. They're no longer bubbly anymore. They're kind of like sad. That's what's happening with Cain here. Except it's anger. Cain is angry. He has anger issues. His countenance fell. In verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? I love this because, you see, the Lord doesn't just leave Cain in his state of anger. You know, if I were a Calvinist, I, you know, God ordained Cain to be this way. But no, the Lord doesn't leave Cain in his, in his state of Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry, Cain? 
And why has your countenance fallen? He says in verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. He's presenting Cain with a choice. Cain, do well. Do well, Cain. Why are you angry, Cain? And its desire, you know, sin lying at the door, he says, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain, you should rule over it. Now, unfortunately, his anger ended up getting the best of him. Look what happens here in verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Have you ever seen people with anger issues? Where like murder is no big deal? People have anger issues. They have no problem, you know, dropping a cinder block on somebody's head. No problem with murder. Because they're so full of rage. That's Cain. And you know, before this course of time took place, the Lord was speaking to Cain. Cain, why are you angry? If you do well, you if you do, verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And accepted here translate translates as elevated in cheerfulness. Elevated in cheerfulness. So think of cheerfulness and joy as stage. There are different stages of joy. I mean, have you ever like, you know, been, you know, got a good grade on a test? You're in school and academically, say you're like a C student. And then you get a B and you're like, wow, cool. You know, I'm not, you know, such a dunce. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start to study and then you get an A on the next test. And you're like, wow, this is so cool. But then it's like. Your wedding day, and you're just like, boom, you see the levels of joy. Yeah, it's nice to get an A, and I'm happy, but wow, my wedding day, or the birth of a child, the birth of your son, the birth of your baby girl. Yeah, I got, you know, a new car, that's fine, but the birth of your baby girl, that's like, phew. Out of this world, joy. So joy has stages. And the Lord tells Cain, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Which translates in the Hebrew as to elevate in cheerfulness. You know, you're angry now. But you know, if you do well, it's going to grow. It can, you're, it's going to, like you're a C student. You think like, okay, I'm not doing so well. But then you get a B and it goes, you know, and then you get an A and you're, so your joy is getting happier. Just like the stages in life, all the joys that we have in life. And he says, if you do well, does that mean we're uh, 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 works saved by works? No. Faith and works are together. They coincide. Belief and obedience. And the Lord is a rewarder of obedience. We see that exemplified Old Testament, New Testament. He rewards faith. He rewards obedience. Remember, your faith has made you well. 
How many times does the Lord say that to people? Your faith has made you well. And then you see how the Lord blesses obedience. Old Testament and New Testament. Still in Genesis 4, Abel or Cain just killed his brother Abel. In verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Whoa. That's pretty hardcore. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? This is the Lord speaking to Cain now. Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see how the Lord sees blood now? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Look at all the bloodshed in this world. Bloodshed in the world. Think about what the Lord hears today. I mean, if you're listening to my voice and you've, you've committed murder or you're contemplating murder, take to heed these passages. How the Lord views blood. And what the Lord said to Cain. You know, sin lies at the door. Why are you angry? You know, God loves you. He'll heal you. If you have anger issues, He'll heal you. As surely as the Lord lives, He will heal you. And it's so beautiful. You see these people, it's like, wow, you know, this, was your, this is your testimony. You did this. Wow, you did prison time? And look, you know, you're like such a like a big teddy bear. And it's so beautiful because that's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does inside anybody. Whosoever. Anybody. So let's go back to Leviticus 17. And here in Leviticus 17, you see a picture of how the Lord views blood different. In verse 14, for it is the life of all flesh, speaking about the blood. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. You know, you see a lot of repetition in certain passages of Scripture. Here you see a lot, like in verse 11, he starts speaking, the Lord gives instruction about blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And you see this a lot, okay? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Here, you know, uh, in verse 14, it is a life of all flesh. The blood sustains its life. And you see a lot of repetition. And I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord. But have you ever read passages of Scripture where it's like, Wow, this is said a lot. Like, well, I get it, Lord. I get it. And I don't mean I don't mean to say that like in a bad attitude against the Lord. But then it begs the question: All these repetitive things that were said, do they really get it? Do they really understand? Especially knowing what happens in future chapters, and you understand why the Lord has repetition. He tells Moses, you know. Moses say this, and it's like, boom, repetition. Like, wow, Lord, 
you read it and you're like, okay, I get it. Not disrespectfully, but it's like, okay, I get it. You see it in the New Testament as well. You see it in the Psalms. You see it in the Proverbs. A lot of repetition. Wow, okay, I get it, I get it. But do we really get it? There's a lot of safety in repetition. You say, what do you mean? Well, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you, repetition, is not tedious. But for you, it is safe. You see? There's a lot of beauty behind repetition. You know what's interesting about Paul's letters to churches? You have issues with the church in Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Thessalonica. But then you get to Philippians. And you're looking for, wow, you know, you read the entire chapter and you're like, wow, what's the beef with this church? You know what? There is no beef. There is no repetition. There's repetition, but there is no, like, you know, like when Galatia, the church was, you know, they wanted to go back to the law. In Thessalonica, they, you know, you had some uh, 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 people who stopped working, you know, and Paul says, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, so you had little communism going on, you know, people were like, yeah, you know what, yeah, you work and let me take the, the fruit of your labor. So you had some communists in the church. And Paul had to write a letter, okay? You don't work, you don't eat. Socialists. The church in Corinth, you know, a lot of sexual sin. You go to the Philippian church and you read it, you're like, wow, what, what, what's the beef with this church? Nothing. And you know what's so beautiful? Paul makes mention here. I write the same things to you, you guys. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. Safety and repetition. Have you ever gone to like, you know, any kind of like, like arithmetic, you learn arithmetic. It's been a while since I've learned it, but you know, I remember back because I hated school, but I remember back, you know, it's like this plus this is this, this plus this plus this is this, this plus it's like, wow, you know, a lot of repetition. The class would say it all together. This plus this is this. And it's like muscle memory. It's like, okay, I get a lot of repetition. It's like, okay, I get it now. And in the Word of God, you're going to have repetition. The Lord gives repetition in the Old Testament. The Lord gives repetition in the New Testament. And you're going to see when Paul makes mention, yeah, I was repetitive with you guys in Philippi. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. It is safe. There's safety in repetition. You know why? Because of muscle memory. To apply these things in our life. So let's go back to Leviticus 17 now. In closing... In Leviticus 17, verse 15. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether is he a, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, you know, Gentile grafting, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. You know, this verse right here is so beautiful because it's, it's rules for eating a carcass. You know, and you see like, oh, that's gross, you know, because we live in, you know, sometimes you see roadkill. And, you know, sometimes if it's old, you can smell it. But, you know, there's rules in the law about the consumption of carcasses. 
And the Lord is writing here, you know, the Lord says here, you know, that Moses is writing it, but the Lord is telling him, you know, you got to wash your clothes and bathe in water and you're going to be unclean until evening. And after that, then you're clean. Now, this applies in the law. Hardcore. This applies a lot to poor people. The poor people and the widows. Because the wealthy people, they had all kinds of flocks. They had the ox. They had, you know, oxen. They had the goats. They had the lambs. They're wealthy. So they had all these things. They didn't have to eat a carcass. They could eat a fresh goat. They could eat eat a, 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 a lamb. They could eat, you know, whatever. You know, that was clean in accordance to the law. But the poor people, they couldn't. A lot of times the workers of the rich people, they were tenders of the flocks of the rich people. They themselves didn't have a flock. And if they did have the flock, it might be like, you know, one sheep. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, multitudes and multitudes. It was like one sheep, a poor guy with one. And it's so beautiful because it's like, wow, the Lord makes provision for the poor people. Where maybe they're tending the sheep and then they see like, wow, there's a carcass over here. I'm going to pick it up and, you know, we're going to eat this for dinner tonight. You know, this is going to be my meal for my home, my family. And the Lord makes provision for these people. Just like he makes provision for sacrifice. You know, if you're poor, you're not, you don't have an ox. You're not going to sacrifice an ox, but you can sacrifice a turtle dove. You can't make an offering of a turtle dove unto the Lord. And so what happens here? You know, you see, when I say that a lot of poor people, but also a lot of widows. A lot of widows who are, you know, the workers and also the mom. Maybe they have kids. The husband died. Then you have, you know, kids. The mom takes care of kids, but then the mom also works. She has like no flock, no animals. She's poor. She's a widow. And you see that's written here in the law is you have these provisions. And it's so beautiful with their limited resources. And how the Lord has very, I mean, we're going to see this. And I'll make mention of this too. How the Lord has very, very special provisions for the poor people and for widows. And when Brother Paul writes to the young Pastor Timothy, he says, you know, take care of widows except those who are really widows. It's not just, you know, widow. You know, people have a status of widow like, yeah, I'm a widow. But Paul says, hey, Pastor Timothy, take care of the widows except those who are really widows. Not the ones who are, you know, milking the system. Take care of the widows, but the ones who are really widows. The ones who legitimately have nobody. You're going to see in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, how there's very special provisions for the poor people and the widows and the orphans. Poor, widow, and orphan. And it's beautiful. So incredibly beautiful. And then also on top of that, you're going to see not just the uh, uh, um, uh, special provisions, but provisions plus blessings, like added blessings upon these people. The meek shall inherit the earth. Remember, the poor are rich in faith. I mean, have you ever met up like a poor person? If you ever been to a poor community, maybe in the third world, and you're in a poor community, it's like, whoa, these, it's like the faith is palpable. Like, you know, you go to New York City, in New York City, and it's like the air, It's there's this energy that's in the air. You can feel it. It's like, whoa, hustle, bustle all over the place. 
And that's how it is when you go into like poor areas, poor homes. You walk into poor homes. And at one time I, I was I was in a poor home, and it's like you know that they were very very poor. Old T-shirts, ripped up T-shirts, and I met as soon as I walked in the door, like the guy, the husband stands up, the guy stands up, and he has this like a shirt with holes, but he buttons it up to the top. And he like wanted to get cleaned up, you know, presentable. And I smiled at him, I embraced him, you know, and we were talking, and it was so beautiful to pray with this guy, pray with his wife. They introduced me to their kids. They had a sick kid. They took me to their kid, and he goes, "Hey, can you pray?" It's like, "Yeah, let's pray. Let's all pray together." And I pray for this sick kid. It's just so beautiful. Like their faith is like, whoa, what in the world? It's like you could cut it with a knife in the air. And I don't see that among the wealthy class. I don't see that in the wealthy. I mean, have you ever met a person where it's like they have a t-shirt or they have like a a dress shirt that costs $5,000? They have pants, slacks that cost $5,000? It's like, you know... I don't see that level of faith in those homes than I do with homes where like the shirt is has been it's a hand me down but like ten times where the floor is dirt where the room is like a ten by ten for the whole house bed kitchen everything everybody sleeps on a big old mat and I don't see that level of faith in the wealthy homes than I do in the poor homes. Thus fulfills what the word of God tells us, that the poor are rich in faith. And you see these provisions in the law for poor people. And the widows. And the orphans. So there's this provision for like uh, uh, carcasses. In closing, verse 16. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. You know what's interesting about there, about bearing the guilt? It's not cut off like the other ones. You know, like he says, like in verse four, he has shed blood and that man shall be cut off. It's like, whoa, that's, you know. And even in uh, uh, like uh, um, uh, uh, all these passages, like in verse nine, that man shall be cut off. But in verse 16, the, the, the provision where the carcass, it's like, wow, they're not cut off. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his, bear his guilt. So they're not cut off. And you see in the law, people say, oh yeah, the law, it's too hardcore, too much wrath, too much judgment, too much this, too much that. No, I don't see that at all. You study these passages in the law and what do we see? Compassion. Aspects of compassion through the law, in the law and through the law. It's compassion in the purpose and the application of the law. I'm not advocating the law, but based on for these times in Leviticus, it's like, wow, this is compassion in the law. And the law is what? A schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law is a schoolmaster here in Leviticus to bring the children of Israel as a schoolmaster in Leviticus. Yes, a schoolmaster in Leviticus to bring the people of Israel all the way through time, through the ages to the book of Matthew. When love comes down in the form of a child, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, Jesus the Christ. You see? What a beautiful schoolmaster to carry Israel and teach them along the way to bring them to the manger. 
the same with you and me. If you're under the law, as I was once under the law, this beautiful schoolmaster to say, hey, little spanking, get out of the law. Get into grace. Abide in Christ. See how beautiful this is? If righteousness can come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. As we study the law, I'm not advocating the law because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And you know what my urging is, my exhortation is, abide in Christ. And no period. When Jesus Christ says, abide in me, there's no period. He says, abide in me and I in you. Oneness, intimacy with Jesus Christ. We're going to end our study here. We'll pick up, Lord willing, next week in chapter 18. God bless you guys. Love you guys.